Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Broadcasting in Black and White, brought to you, as always, by Bib Media, born in Brooklyn. Believe the hype. My name is Joe Masiri. I am the co-host of our podcast here, and I will be joined in just a little bit by my partner, Kenton Young. Before we get started today, I wanted to give you a reminder of what Broadcasting in Black and White is all about. This podcast was created to try and predict where this crazy broadcasting industry is going. We're talking to people who are innovating in the industry, pushing the envelope, and looking at things like set-top boxes, the Apple TVs or Roku's, looking at apps and the internet, and trying to figure out how those are impacting the industry currently and how they will continue to impact the industry in the future, and we're doing that by talking to actors, reporters, producers, directors, you name it, people who are creative and trying to stay ahead of the curve. That being said, our guest in this podcast is Adam Lefko of Bleacher Report. Adam was referred to as the best sportscaster on earth, I think I'm paraphrasing there, by Deadspin while he was working in Louisville and came up with some cool WrestleCasts and Seinfeld casts, which we'll talk about in the podcast. He now works for Bleacher Report and is the co-host of a podcast with former NFL quarterback Chris Sims. So with Adam on this podcast, we talk a little bit about shaking off the haters and how to overcome the doubt from other people, dealing with dumb people on Twitter and social media, which we know happens all the time. And the problem with looking cool or trying to look cool on camera, Adam and I had a bunch of laughs. We went to Syracuse University together, which you'll hear about in the podcast. And as I say there, please don't hold that against us. One more shout out to Crush Productions for putting together our intro music. And without further ado, thanks for listening to Broadcasting in Black and White. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. This is Broadcasting in Black and White. I am Joe Masiri, as always, with my partner and co-host, Kenton Young. Kenton, what's going on today, man? Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Here at Broadcasting in Black and White, we try and break down the broadcasting industry, looking at some people who are doing some cool things, trying to figure out where this whole mess might end up in a few years from now, and... Well, how it got to this mess in the first place. <laughs> uh, with us today, we are talking with uh, Adam Lefko. Adam is, well, a do-it-all for Bleacher Report. He's a reporter. He hosts his own podcast with uh, Chris Sims, and he's doing some really cool things. Full disclosure, Adam and I went to Syracuse University together. We are both Newhouse grads, so don't hold that against us, I guess. Adam, thanks so much for being with us today, man. Oh, what's going on, fellas? Yo, I'm so tired of that holding the Newhouse thing. People do that. <laughs> My thing that's so true, and this is a broadcasting podcast, so you guys know, how many people have you met in broadcasting that are from the most random schools ever? And it's awesome. <laughs> it's totally it's true. Awesome. It's awesome. I mean, I've met so but many they people come from at us. Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Honestly, broadcasting is funny. As soon as you leave school and you get on camera or you get on a microphone, who cares where you went to school? That's At true. that point, it's what you can do and what you're capable of and how much work you put in. Listen, I, I have no doubt. Preach. Preach, <laughs> brother. Preach. I got no doubt that that new house name uh, definitely helped me get in in my first position. But after that, it it's, definitely helps with the first job, Joe. After, I agree. After that, it's, it's all about that hustle, man. You can That new house name doesn't mean much for you if you're if you're not hustling hard in this business. That's for sure. 
I know, I know some of them, Joe, and I'm sure you do too. Bro. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. We won't name yeah, any right. from this podcast. No, 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 no. Uh, so, I mean, look, you're, you're trying to educate people. You uh, know uh, I mean? That's it, man. That's it. Yeah. So let's educate, man. You were hustling right out of school. You went out to Nebraska. Mm. Uh, sure. I mean, I, I had the fortunate pleasure of starting on Wilmington, North Carolina, hanging out on the beach and just just uh, getting some good stories about there. But you're covering sports in Nebraska. How'd you end up out there, and and what was that like for you? Oh, my God. Yeah, there were no beaches in Nebraska. <laughs> and it, what's, what's funny is I actually started off as a news reporter. I couldn't get a sports job for, like, three, four years. So I just wanted to get on TV because I knew I had to, like, keep a fresh reel. And got a job as a news reporter in Hastings, Nebraska, population 25,000. <laughs> it was market 104, but it really was like a market 200. It just had Lincoln 90 minutes away, supposedly, in its market. Wow. So I, I, it was a lot of learning. I mean, I was the lead reporter on the 10 o'clock show two months into getting on TV because that's what happens to those small markets. You don't have time to learn. I mean, the second or third day, I drove two hours to Jewel, Kansas, to cover a tornado that tore apart this town. And I don't even know, really know how to use the camera yet. Wow. So, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you're interviewing someone and you're like, hold on one second. All right, I'm recording. <laughs> okay. 15 minutes and, uh, later. <laughs> uh, so it was, I mean, to get to the hustle, though, so I was a news reporter there for a while. And I was like, I need to get into sports. I need to get into sports. I convinced the news director to let me create an online sports show, which back then was not a popular thing. Right. And I had a, I had a producer stay late. He ran cameras and switched. I convinced the two sports guys to stay, and I played role of host. And we talked about Nebraska football. We talked about Major League Baseball, just everything. And it, it allowed me to, to pretend to almost have sports stuff on my reel. Dude, I even went to a local bar called Bullseyes and sold it. We got advertising on the radio. A hundred dollars a month is what they got for our internet sports show, which was hilarious. Crazy. So, I did that for two years, and I, gosh, crazy being separated from from civilization because it's just a whole other world out there. <laughs> and then I just set my stuff around, and, and a guy from Louisville brought me on as a news reporter there. So I went there as a news reporter. That's awesome, man. Uh, now, were you one-man banding at that first job in Hastings? One-man banding using beta tapes wow. and um, little DVC Pro tapes, which was interesting. We got an Avid after I was there for about a year and two months. So I was editing tape to tape for a long time. Uh, yeah, man, one man band. I would, and we had a live truck that only worked about three times a year. So that was really fun because you're oh, trying to get that nice. live experience. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And did you I'm run covering- that live truck? No, no. I'll tell you, it wasn't far away. I mean, there were times where I was putting up the mask in an emergency situation. But I, I know, think I was there. Done that before. Yep, definitely had that in in, in Wilmington down there. So oh. um, much different. So then you end up going to Louisville over there, and you were a sports uh, anchor right away, or did you? Were no, just a I started off as a new. I started off as a news reporter again, and then three months in, the weekend sports anchor left. I petitioned to get it. They gave me an audition. We're like, all right, we're going to try it. So I, then I became the weekend sports anchor, and then I, I moved up from there. And that was, that was a great sports city just in terms of Louisville basketball, Kentucky basketball, um, surrounded by a perimeter of NFL teams to run on Sundays. It was just – I'm dealing with Patino and Calipari. Crazy. I mean, if you don't come prepared to a press conference, they will eat you alive. So that really kind of helped me in terms of just being confident enough to not, not be worried about the moment. And I got to cover, like, three Final Fours. 
a few Kentucky Derbies, national championship. Mm, those uh, juleps. <laughs> uh, they are disgusting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the pe- the pe- you go there for the people. The dr- that drink is gross. Yeah. Oh, I'm a fan. I actually am a you fan of you? the mint julep. Not lying What's there. What's this yeah. What is it? What is it? Oh, it's the traditional Kentucky Derby drink. It's uh, mint. Uh, what is it? Bourbon. Uh, simple syrup. Am I missing anything? Yes. Now, a- like I'm a huge bourbon fan, yeah. but just. I don't know. Those other agreements. I'll just give me the bourbon. I don't I, need the rest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. All right. So wait, let's talk about this. So you go, I mean, you always wanted to do sports, right? I mean, this was yep. always in your blood. Mm. Yes. And how difficult was it to kind of just put that on the back burner for a little bit, mm. you know, going and reporting news and doing that on your own time with your own hustle to make that happen for you? It made me appreciate it more when I started to do it. Um, I can see very quickly how covering high school softball games would become very tiring for people. Mm. But because I was craving that, instead I was covering city council meetings and budget proposals, and I'm looking at the softball game like it's a vacation. So (laughs) it it really made me appreciate it more. Dude, and the funny thing is, look, our our career is a very subjective thing. People are going to say you can do it even though you can't. People say you can't do it even though you can. What was crazy for me is even after I was a sports anchor in Louisville for two, three years, I mean, I would be on the phone with agents, and I'll never forget this one agent, this woman. She goes, Adam, I've been watching your tape. I think you have a lot of skill. She goes, if you switch back to news, I can get you in Philadelphia next week. Wow. And I was like, damn, that's where I'm from? Like, that'd be amazing. And I said, well, what if I wanted to stay with sports? And she goes, I don't think I can represent you. She goes, I just... She goes, I don't think you have the right look for sports. There, it, like, here's the funny thing about our career is she literally was like, listen, you're a white guy trying to do sports. Like, there's a lot of those out there. You're not unique enough to sell you. And, and I was like, wow. I was like, that's really interesting. And I was like, listen, like, I appreciate your, your thoughts, but I'm going to stay doing sports. And she goes, okay, thank you. Now, in, and, the, in the back of your mind at all, did that did- – that make your confidence waver? That's not easy hearing from somebody Dude, who's been working for a while. I love that stuff. That stuff is fuel. That mm. stuff is motivation. My thing is, if you do this career and you are thrown off by the thoughts of others, you will not last a day. Because Twitter and all that stuff, man, everyone wants to call you stupid. <laughs> and you just got to remember, I'm the one with the microphone. Uh-huh. So you're, you're listening to me. And, and you like, look, I love when people say you can't do something. I love when people say that you're not good enough at something because, look, you guys are the same way. I'm going to outwork you. I'm going to out-hustle you. And when push comes to shove, I probably know more than you. So it's just, it's just a grind, and I think it's different for everybody. Dude, I almost had a job before Bleacher Report in Philadelphia, right. and apparently they submitted my name, and the news director called me to tell me that, um, the company came forward, like the head of the company, and said, "Look, we're replacing a woman. We have to hire a woman." Wow. And that's what that's what was told to me. And we, it, but this is like for everybody. Like yeah, mine is like a happens. very it happens. It even happens. On it happens side. because look, yeah. it's subjective. It's people's opinions, and people news and local news and, and broadcasting sometimes is very traditional, and they like to have formulas and they like to have combinations and they 
This is the way it's always going to be. Uh, an old guy and an old woman, they're going to toss it to a young, attractive weather guy, and then they're going to give it to that crazy kook on sports. <laughs> it's, like, it's the same That's thing you. all the time. <laughs> it's the, the same thing all the time. Right. And, but I think, but I also think it's because the consumers, that's what they're used to. So it's comforting to see that. Oh, there's they're, definitely an element of trust when it comes to the news aspect of this, of seeing somebody 100%. who looks somewhat like you and saying, okay, I can trust them because I can know that person because they look like me. Absolutely. I do get that aspect of it. Okay, but the same. Now, you were not about doing the same. You were breaking the mold. It led to Deadspin calling you the best sportscaster on earth, I believe, uh, while you were at Louisville. (laughs) Tell me about that that sportscast, that weekly cast that you had on there and and how that took off, where that idea came from, and, and what you think looking back on it now. Well, a lot of it started from people telling me that I was the same. And I started realizing that I was writing scripts to seem intelligent, where I was writing my sports cast to project being a broadcaster, and I was using words that I don't normally use in my everyday life. And I kind of realized, man, forget this. I'm, I'm done playing television. Right. Like, I'm done pretending to be on television. I'm just going to be me, and you're going to handle it. And I used to do this thing where I would go out with some of my friends between – the Sunday 6 o'clock and the Sunday 11 o'clock, and we get dinner because it's a very, uh, other than football, nothing's going on sometimes. I've already done my show. Right. And we would sit around, they'd be like, I'd be like, give me a few words. And one of them would say, like, aluminum. Another one would say, like, dipsy do. And that <laughs> night on TV, I would say them. I'd be like, oh, I'd be like, there goes Aaron Rodgers, dipsy do in the end zone, <laughs> touchdown Packers. And then I'd be getting tweets and pictures and videos from my friends, like, watching just dying. Because they realize they're they're changing the sport, they're changing television from dinner, and and I thought you know what, let me just try and do this with the whole city of Louisville. So I have a lot, like a lot of my Twitter followers are Louisville based, and I just put it out there. Hey, I'm going to do a theme sports cast. What should be my topic? And then wrestling came back. And I said, all right, send me wrestlers, send me stuff, and I got like 40 or 50 wrestlers. And after the 6 o'clock news, I did a straight newscast. I went back and I produced it again, so I rewrote the whole thing traditionally. And then I went back and I had all the printed sheets of the wrestler names, and I thought, where could I put each one of these? You know what I mean? Like the defense played like The Rock. Right. You know, I can, you can go through and you just kind of weave it in there. And I did it, and the Twitter reaction was like really strong from the city of Louisville. And then Awful Announcing got a hold of it. And then it kind of spread a little bit. And then people were like, hey, what are you going to do next week? I said, okay, let's do it again. And I did Seinfeld. And that one really blew up. And it was funny because I was giving local radio shows and websites content every Monday morning from my Sunday sportscast. Like, they were just, they were ready to post because internet sites need content. So wait a minute, and hold on, hold on. When you say you were giving them content there, you were churning other stuff for them or they were using no, your specific no. newscast? They knew that I was going to do that, so websites were happy to pick it up and, and put it out there as Monday morning content. Local sports anchor does it again. You know, anytime a, a person at a desk does something different, it's, it goes viral. You know, a local news anchor accidentally curses. Right. Local news anchor gets like a dog. Dog poops on a local news anchor. It just happens. Because once you're behind uh, that desk, you're not a normal person. Of course. You don't actually have exactly. feelings and emotions and like to laugh. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what was really funny is I drive to Lexington on Monday after Seinfeld, and I get a call from my assistant news director that said, Adam, listen, it's been a lot of fun. It's been cool to see the reaction. Our Facebook page is blowing up. 
Um, but we think that it might be getting a little kitschy, so we're going to kind of ask you to stop. Oh, and I already had silly. like I already had like forty or fifty tweets saved, and I just emailed it to him as soon as we got off the phone. And people being like, "I'm going to watch this newscast every Sunday," like all this stuff. I get a phone call from him an hour later. Someone from ABC like head contacted the station and was like, "Who's responsible for this?" And of course, they like pointed their finger like it was Adam. And they were like, "This is great. We want to show this to the." They're like, "We want to show this to the other ABCs in a way of using social media to like connect your your broadcast." And apparently, the the GM went down to a meeting that I wasn't even at. It was like, "Adam is going to stop, and he's going to do this during sweeps, and we are going to sell against it." Wow. And I heard that and went, "Guess what? I am doing it this week, and then I'm never doing it again." Because there are very few times in your life where you can have control. Mm. Very few. And also I knew that if I kept doing it too much, cool becomes uncool very quickly. Oh, yeah. Sure. And, sure. and I wasn't doing this to be cool. I was doing this because I was legitimately trying to get people to watch the local news that are in my age group because why would they ever do that? <laughs> when you have Twitter right. and you have the Internet, That's you right. need a reason to turn on your local news. Like it really needs to be good. Appointment and, viewing. I mean, you made it appointment viewing, which forget about local news in, in broadcasting is almost, I mean, you were right hard. there. Video on demand was happening. There was Hulu, but it was just in, in its infancy. Um, yeah. you, you made appointment viewing in a time when that's almost impossible to do. So here, I'll give you the, the, the ratings proof to that. So the week after that, I did, I did rap. And then the next day, I got, it got tweeted out by Time Magazine and World Star Hip Hop within five minutes of each other. And that's when I was like, this is crazy, because those are the two polar opposites of the spectrum. <laughs> right. uh, and, and I eventually, like, I, I stopped after that. It was really cool. And when I eventually told my GM, hey, I'm going to go to Bleach Report, like, I'm super excited about the law, she said, do you know what the ratings impact was when you did those? I said, no. She goes, okay, the first day, you know, we got our typical, like, two, because that, it, people didn't know you were going to do it. The next Sunday, Seinfeld cast got a six. And the next Sunday, Rapcast got a nine. Wow. A nine, Joe. Yeah. That's like World Series numbers. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and I was like, man. And I looked at her and I went, man, I should have asked for a raise. <laughs> <laughs> That's like World Series numbers in St. Louis where they love baseball over right. there. You know? yeah. I mean, that, it, that beats up some World Series games in a lot of markets, I'm sure. You know this, like in Wilmington, those communities, if you embrace them as someone on TV – and you make a national name, like if someone from that area makes it to the Olympics, the entire area bands around them. Right. Well, I was the Louisville sports anchor gone viral. So Louisville's like, hell yeah, we have a person on camera who's really good. And, and they just banded around it. And it was, it was really cool because, look, man, when your city gets mentioned on the front page of Deadspin, your city's happy. Right. Let me ask you, did you know the impact that social media could have uh, before that went viral? Or, I mean, how were you using social media before that? So I loved to use, now it's funny, I don't use a lot of social media anymore, and I'm trying to change that. I just, I, I think people post too much. There's, there's a lot of dumb people on there. I just try to avoid it. But, but I think the thing I loved using it for as a tool was when I was covering Louisville or Kentucky in the NCAA tournaments, I am embedded on the road. I am with that team five, six days a week in terms of access. And I would love after games to just put every single quote online 
Because after a win, man, you're you're fiending for that stuff. You you love to just swim in victory, especially and, in a place like Louisville, you know, where uh, they bleed the number Kentucky one rated basketball. Col- yeah, the number Louisville one basketball. rated the number one rated college basketball market in terms of TV watching for college basketball for like 15 years in a row. More than more than North Carolina, more than everybody. Louisville is obsessed. So I would just feed that with quotes on Twitter. Uh, a lot of it was like analysis and stuff, and then always responding with people's tweets. I don't ignoring is not an option. You just kind of you got to have the conversation, and uh, it was cool because it connected me with everybody. That's awesome. And then, so now you get did you get a call from Bleacher Report? Did you apply for a job? How'd that come about for you? So um, before the YouTube stuff, I had reached out to ten agents, heard back from one. They said we're not interested, and a friend hooked me up with an agent. So I I kind of had that, and then after YouTube. Nine of the other agents came back and were like, hey, hey, hey. And I was like, get out of my face. Nice. And so my agent, at, uh, who I'm still with, uh, had me, got me an interview with Bleach Report. And then uh, it eventually worked out. And, uh, yeah, they were launching this new news concept, which we do now, TeamStream Now, which is like analysis and video on demand directly about your team and to your stream. And, um, yeah, it's, he, they, he kind of set the whole thing up, and it was come to New York and don't blow the interview. Wow, that's awesome. So you went in there and, and pretty much, it was. did you know it was a fit right from the beginning? Say it one more time. Did you know it was a fit right from the beginning for you? Um, I knew that they were going to give me creative, some creative control, which was very important because I think everyone, and not just me, but like everybody has the availability of saying, I like this, I don't like that. And I think a lot of times in traditional broadcasting forums, it becomes this is the way we've always done it, or the technology will only allow us to do it like this, or timing, or feeding the beast of certain news scheduling, whereas this is kind of, if we're going to do a video at 11 a.m., we do a video at 4 p.m. And um, so I knew it was a pretty good fit, and then it was just kind of throwing myself in the NFL and falling in love with that sport all over again. That's been a blast. That's awesome. And you've, I mean, talk about creative control. You've done some pretty crazy things. I, I love the pre-draft uh, beer, well, what do we call it? It wasn't beer pong, cup pong. I don't know what it was with Jaleel Okafor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we had we had him shoot. It's, it's funny because we're in a time with video where not only do you have to deliver on your promise, but you also have to hook somebody right away either by the image or by the title of the video. And so seeing Jaleel Okafor with a beer pong set up with NBA logos, I knew would interest people. And then it's also, you know, Jaleel Okafor shoots beer pong, like NBA draft beer pong. So it's funny, like, we, we will literally sit down and think about that. What would you click on? What would you want to watch and then deliver on that and try and bring some production value to that? Um, I think so many times, you know, Facebook is, this cat got on this piano, you won't believe what happens next. No, I, I have an idea of what's going to happen next. And I think, <laughs> I think people are kind of tired of that. Like they're, they're tired of the check this crazy stuff out. And if you can just give them something that they haven't thought about before or something that addresses the awkward elephant in the room, then you can kind of make it cool. No, it's definitely true. You see all the time that some t- that it's just clickbait. They want you to click, and, and it doesn't pay off on that so often. So you become a little bit immune to the clickbait. You come, become numb to it because everybody says, you must see this. <laughs> yes. So. And the other thing is, too, is I was watching a friend's tape yesterday, he sent me, and he, the, the funny thing is now on the Internet we're introducing a video. You're going to click on Patriots-Giants preview, and then you click on it, 
and the guy spends 30 seconds going, this is my name, and this is the other person's name, and the Patriots are taking on the Giants. You're literally going 30 seconds, and you've told me nothing. Right. Like, nothing. And so one thing that I think people need to get used to with the Internet that I know we try and do here is I just get right into it. If you clicked on Patriots-Giants preview, let's go. All right, Sunday, who do you got? Just right, like you don't need to wait anymore. We're not we're not doing an intro with an over the shoulder with a VO and a soundbite. Like it's just a free flowing conversation, which I think people got to get used to. And part of that is because you don't have to follow the newscast. We're not switching from another topic. I clicked on this. I wrote the. I produced my newscast, so to speak. So I know exactly. what I'm going to hear uh, or expect. A hundred percent. You don't. You don't even need to give background. Right. Right. Um, so now I, I also saw. The story that you did, um, uh, forgive me, I don't remember the kid's name, but it really got it. It touched me. Uh, the kid who was playing basketball, I think it was down in Chinatown. He had one partially developed hand. Um, yes. You know, sometimes the, the sports stories that you do are not the clickbait more in, that, in line with that, but they are the you know, the, the feature stories that hit home that still really touch so many people. How do you feel about doing those stories compared to the, the usual, the, the more normal uh, that mm. we see? There is a feeling of responsibility. There is a feeling of ownership. And there's a feeling of pride. Um, I love doing features. I, I, I did news features and sports features. I, I did one in Louisville uh, while I was a sports anchor about a tornado that hit Henryville, Indiana. And we went and talked with like 25 people and just weave their sound bites together to kind of retell the story. And there is nothing like doing a feature story and getting a phone call from the person you did it. And they're so overjoyed because we have the ability to, one, write, create a, a, a story arc that captures what's going on. We have the ability to put video that matches it and beautifully tells that story. And... I mean, I, I've had people call me crying. When someone calls you crying, yep. that's incredible. Jaleel Okafor is not calling me crying after doing a beer pong video. He's going to give me daff and go, that was funny. But the thing is, is when you do that meaningful feature, you also know that, like, I need to do this right because this person's going to watch it, and I don't want them to think that I'm not good at my job. And it's, it's the old, like, Michael Jordan saying that I know Kobe's adopted. Right. When, I when I play, there might be a kid in the audience who's never seen me play before. Right. And if I don't play hard, they're going to think for the rest of their life that I don't play hard. And, and my thing is, is it's the same thing when you do a feature. If you're not staying late at the office or, or laying out your scripts and figuring out the perfect way to do that and looking at every sentence and going, this is kind of basic language here. How can I change this around and make it a little more deep and, and add depth to it? Then, then you don't care about that person because this, this is going to be on the Internet for them to cherish for the rest of their life. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely something that's changed the game, just the accessibility to those stories and, and the lifespan that they have. You see it when old stories become new again to a new audience, and those future oh. stories have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, you're right. They can live forever, which is rare. It's a lot of the clickbait stuff dies very quickly. Right. So let me ask you this. Uh, given the fact that you're working for Bleacher Report, obviously, you know, online, app-based, all that stuff, 
is there what advantages does that give you to your experience in traditional television broadcast? And are there any um, detriments to it? Any disadvantages to working in that type of environment that you think television maybe still has a leg up? Um, I would say that in terms of availability, the mobile web-based option is a lot better. The on-demand aspect of it, um, I can do a video that says that we did last week, Antonio Cromartie is the fourth best cornerback on the Jets. Sim said that. And if you're a Jets fan you're, and you have our app, your phone buzzes, it says that, and you can watch it right there. Um, so there's definitely, like, you're getting a more focused eye, in my opinion. You're also getting a younger demographic, uh, which is the more engaged fans instead of the I keep my channel on this all the time because this is what I grew up watching and this is what I'll watch until I'm 80. However, <laughs> however... I miss live a good amount of time. I pride myself when we do videos. I'm only doing one take. I never do a second take because right. I'm so used to being live that I never want to get out of firing on all cylinders on the first try. And that there's something about, the, about being live on TV when it goes black for a second and the red light comes on that you need to go. And there is, there is a little rush, especially if you're live or you're anchoring a big moment or it's after a big event. There's something about knowing that I am going to knock this out of the park. On the first try, no mess-ups, and it's going to be great. That feeling is great. But in terms of the delivery model, in terms of the availability to do content at any time and not be restricted by time windows, the availability of me to watch an entire sporting event and not be standing outside waiting to go live, not seeing the last five minutes because I got to hit that 11.02 time slot. There is a lifestyle change. There's a way in which you watch sports change. And also, I'm in, a, in an office with more than 100 people that are obsessed with sports. Right. Sometimes in a newsroom, it's two versus 50. You know, everyone else is like, yeah, but there's a bank robbery, so we're going to have to cut your time down to a minute and a half. Mm. That's the other thing is the limited amount of time to discuss multiple stories, you end up just being a regurgitated Twitter feed because you have no time to just expand. All right. There are two things out of that I want to touch on here. You said that that live adrenaline rush that you get, it's it's mm. tough to duplicate. If you're pre-taping something, because, you know, we're talking to a lot of people here who maybe are looking for their first job that are trying to bring that live energy, but they don't have a yes. live truck. They're not going live. Is there something that you do to bring that energy? Is there a way in your head? Obviously, you said mm. you do one take. Anything else that you do to try and get that adrenaline rush to convey it to the viewers? I love to smile right before it goes on because smiling just kind of brings an energy. Like I if love you do smiling. it right now. Smiling's my favorite. Do it right now. Like you feel like your shoulders perk up, like your ears go back, like a little bit like that. And I come a little bit louder with my first few words. So I need to kind of project and really bring it because then it loosens you up. And now, now I'm flowing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's more of a mental thing of just knowing, knowing what you're doing and knowing that you're going to do it, just kind of bringing it and, and being a little forceful with it, bring a little urgency in your voice. Uh, I think one of the hardest things that people don't realize is they want to look cool on camera right? and they don't realize that cool doesn't translate. Cool is boring. Cool is quiet. And you need to kind of turn it up a few more octaves than you're used to. 
and that way you're talking to somebody. You know, I'm trying to get your attention on a screen in the corner of your house. I think that's one of the things that we see so often. And, you know, we're talking about broadcasting in general here. Obviously, you know, you come from this at a news and sports background, as do Kent and I. Even in sports, you get that ability to just bring your personality a little bit more to it. Whereas in news, I think especially people starting out are afraid to be themselves. Because like you said, they're trying to play reporter at first. Mm. And they're not good yeah, actors. I, they're not actors. <laughs> and they're talking about things that are very delicate, touchy subjects they've never talked about before. That I, was a, I, was, I didn't think I was a good news anchor, and I thought I was a pretty good sports anchor. I was a good news anchor because I couldn't bring my, in, my energy towards a house fire. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't speak to a family and then not be sad about what I just heard. Like, it, it was hard to kind of put on that face again with very serious topics. And like you were saying, I mean, when you get out of college and you go, that first script is the scariest thing you're ever going to write. Every sentence is too long. All the information is jumbled. And you're worried about hitting the deadline. I mean, early on, you're just trying to survive news. You're just trying to get on <laughs> like air that. and make sense and not mess up. And when you can go from trying to not make a mistake to trying to be you, that's the biggest transition anyone can make. All right. Another thing that you, you mentioned earlier is you said that you're engaging a younger audience now and that those are the ones that are really actively engaged with you. But yet you said that your social media presence has seemingly dipped a little bit. What's going on there? Yeah, it's, it's a weird little thing that I need to figure out. I think uh, for me personally, uh, I think maybe I'm just following the wrong people on Twitter. I need to go and cleanse that stuff out. I just think that um, – I, I watch a lot of people be very critical and negative all the time uh, on on Twitter, at least. I find Instagram to be a very uplifting one where you're projecting good images and stuff. And I find Facebook to, at this point, be a marketplace for the older generation. You know, it's just, it's not innovative. I think Snapchat, I like Snapchat because Snapchat disappears. And I think in, in sometimes the world of social media, everyone's trying to play a gotcha game right. and favoriting old tweets and all that stuff. And I think... The reason, here's my issue. The reason I loved Twitter before was I was covering a team and I was disseminating information to a fan base that wanted it. And now I'm either giving, I would either be giving opinions or I'd be giving updates about me as a broadcasting professional. And I just don't like to advertise. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's just a personal choice. Like my private life is private. And I would, if it comes to information or interviews or content, I will absolutely put it out there. I just think that some people want to be on TV to be famous, and some people want to be on TV because they enjoy broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And I find fame to be rooted in ego. I find people that are obsessed with fame to be very selfish and and not thoughtful. And I just think that sometimes I have a hard time on social media just tweeting about me because I just think it's who in the heck cares. So let me ask That's you something. So when somebody like, you know, me gives you a call and says, hey, man, I want to talk about you <laughs> and yeah. I want to talk well, about your why, career. Uh, well, that's why I'm glad that we're, we're talking more about broadcast. Right. You know, I think the cool thing is when you talk about your past, if people are interested in broadcasting or they're thinking about getting into broadcasting, they can understand the realities of it. Like, I love to tell kids that I was in Nebraska making $18,500 a year. 
And the next year, I got a raise to nineteen thousand five hundred dollars a year. Salary, right? And, or were you paid hourly uh, out there? <laughs> oh no, that was yeah, that was salary. That's oh the thing. I'm working, God. I'm working, I'm working twelve, fourteen hour days, and right. I'm getting a paycheck for like forty bucks. Right. Um, yep. And it, we're going to start hard. the fight for fifteen for broadcasters soon. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> seriously, dude, I'd be going to Walmart, and I'm like, man, you got nicer shoes than me. <laughs> it was like the, the greeter. Um, so I, I just think it's good, though, for people to know the realities of it, like know the realities of going into a newsroom and how it really can control your life. And there's your community is in your first job, that small little newsroom. You don't know a lot of people on the outside. You're living in a weird place. Mm. And and some people think it's going to be like easy roads the whole way. I mean. I know, Joe, and I am thankful every day. I know that it is objective business, and I got lucky. And I know that some of the chips fell the right way right now where I can have a cool career talking about sports. But I also know so many people that were in smaller markets and never left. Right. I know so many people that were in smaller markets and quit. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there are so many things to do in life that being defined by your career is crazy. But... Um, I know that I got lucky, and I try to explain that to people, but I also remember when I was like 18 to 21. Oh, I'm going to be lucky, too. I'm going to get this, too. So it's just I think it's good for people to understand the truth of the process and the journey. Well, let me, let me say this, though, because was it John Wooden who said luck is when preparation meets execution? Is that right? Absolutely. Something, something along yeah. those lines there. So I like know, that, Joe. Yeah, you let, let's not forget that because if you, you a luck falls into place when you're working hard like that too. So that so is very true. I'll, I'll I'll brush your shoulders off for you because <laughs> the haters are gonna hate. There's oh, enough out thanks, there, so I'll, I'll I'll pull you up out there. Uh, <laughs> so listen, I, I want to talk real quick. We got just uh, a, a few minutes left here. Um, is there something, uh, a story, uh, a show, uh, a person or article that you've seen recently that you just thought was really good that you want to share that you're thinking about it could, or it's a person who's doing some cool stuff? Um, I'm always, I'm always appreciative of Tom Rinaldi's work. Always. I just think he puts a lot of care into it. I, I really like Wright Thompson, um, in terms of, um, just other, other pieces out there. Hmm. I will say this. I am I'm beginning to like the way certain, beyond stories, certain shows are starting to change. I like Embassy Row and their willingness for stuff like Garbage Time with Katie Nolan, Men in Blazers. They do also Watch What Happens Live on Bravo. These are different types of shows right. that I, I, I like the fact that they're getting a chance to be on television. Um, I, I think I, I kind of look at that now, like beyond feature stories and stuff like that. I also really enjoy looking at the way these shows are constructed and the way they're built. Um, hmm. You know, it's, it's sorry, I, I got distracted. The, uh, the, the fantasy expert in our office asking to move offices because I'm talking too loud. He's about to go on the radio. Uh -oh. <laughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought. That Who's was the bad. sleeper of the day? Ask him. No, I'm just kidding. We'll get that later. I, I'll say this. Joe, Joe, let me ask you your opinion on this. Please. I think the hardest thing right now with finding really great content is there's so much out there that it just washes over me. Like, I love, I love reading The Atlantic. I love oh, I really love checking out... Love the Atlanta. I love a lot of the pieces they're doing on Vice. I think Vice is one of those that they're willing to take a chance. And I think in terms of Grantland, we've heard it go back and forth. I obviously, I, I love a lot of the guys and what they do there. But I guess my issue was is they were trying to do it the right way, mm. and they stopped the process. And I think What do you mean when you say the right way? Uh, they were not concerned about clicks. They were not concerned about 
um, the like growth and ad sales and all that stuff. They just wanted to make good content all the time. Yeah. And it might not be the best business model, but I think you do need that in the space because someone has to do it. If no one's doing it, then we're all doing it for the wrong reason. So I say two um, things uh, along those notes. I, I think that the content that is produced now has never been at a higher level, but simultaneously, I don't think it's been at a lower level. And I, I think the biggest challenge right now is sometimes finding the good stuff that's out there. That's why I want to know what people like you are paying attention to that you're liking. Because we need, for lack of a better word, uh, or lack, lack of a better example, but like an Ebert and Roper for everything that's going on on the internet and broadcast. Because I don't know where to start to watch. Now, yeah. I have more option as a consumer than ever before, and if I don't like something, I say see you later. And if I love something, well, I go down that black hole of binge-watching whatever the heck it is, and before you yeah. know it, I'm begging that person or production company or whatever the case may be for give me, give more, me more, please. Me more, yeah. You know who I really enjoy, man? Ta-Nehisi Coates. I love him. One I more time? Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's a oh, writer yeah, yeah. for the Atlantic. Yep. Uh, he had a book came out recently that I read that was fantastic. Um, I think, I, I honestly, Joe, I like to read a lot of stuff not about sports. Um, that's the weird thing about working in sports is you kind of begin to realize it's so much fun and I love it, but at the same time, it's really meaningless. Right. And I think there are so many cultural issues that we're going through as a country, as a people, um, that, uh, I mean, I'm reading up on politics every day. I mean, that, to me... There are a lot of very, very smart writers in very, very important fields, and there's only so many ways to say that a team won and a team lost. Right. Well, you know what? And getting to cover sports, it's great because if you find that uh, it is something that can be a little bit more uh, relaxing for you, then it's not as uh, laborious to go and deal with that heavy stuff when you're not at work. You know, a lot of people have heavy jobs. A lot of broadcasters, that job is heavy. And then to go and tackle what sometimes is work, tackling civil rights issues that are going on right now, tackling political issues that are going on, that, that's heavy. So the fact that you get to decompress a little bit at work, yes. maybe, maybe it opens you up to do things like that. All right, uh, one more for you here. I want to know, where do you see broad, the broadcast industry going, say, in the next five or ten years? I think we're about to hit a lull, and I, I don't mean to scare people, but I'm noticing a trend right now. Uh, here are the few trends that I see happening. One, rant-based journalism. Mm. Every video that is from TV broadcast that has a chance to succeed is insert name, obliterates insert topic. Whether it's Greg Hardy or concussions or Kevin Durant, put the, mic, put the camera on an anchor, let them go for a minute and a half to two minutes, and post that stuff on the Internet. So the really well-written and kind of argumentative anchors, I think, are going to build their brands in the next few years because I think we're getting to a, a lot of commentary. Um, I also am a little bit worried that I think the, uh, the middle class of broadcasting in terms of salary is going to be eliminated. Uh, ESPN just had a lot of cuts. Uh, there's going to be a lot of guys in the market, uh, men, women, everybody. Um, and I kind of think that everyone's starting to pare down. You know, these broadcast rights are costing so much for major media organizations that the number one thing to cut is personnel, and you don't need all the anchors. You know, you only need a few that people know, as we've discussed before. So that's something I kind of see happening. 
Um, and then I kind of, when the, the seismic shift, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think it's got to happen soon, is when we go to a pay-as-you-go system with cable where you pick which channels you want. And when that happens, Joe, I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, you're going to have those those regional networks or those niche audiences for certain sports, MLB, NBA, all that stuff, or how many people are going to pay for it. And then that will change. That is the bomb in this industry that when it happens, and if it happens, because I'm sure there's a lot of cable lobbyists out there, is going to change everything, and I have no idea what's going to happen. All I know is I'm going to put on my bootstraps and say, let's get to work, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you, though. Do you think we'll see that, that happen given the popularity of things that are growing like Bleacher Report where I can get this content online? Am I going to have a cable provider or does that go the way of the household, the landline telephone, and I, I'm just paying for the Internet subscription at that point? You just explained the reason why I work here, man. Uh, I'm, you got to be ahead of the curve, and, and my thing is is – the reason I like Bleach Report is we are already a top digital mobile web. I think we were number one in social interactions and combined Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's over Fox News. That's over Huffington Post. That's over ESPN. And I'm, I'm trying to get in the hands of your mobile devices because I don't even know if the TV is going to stick around much longer, Joe. Um, so it, it's the industry is changing, I think, a lot because the technology is changing. Everyone's ability to get news whenever they want. So I would like to be on on-demand. But, look, Netflix and Hulu and all that, part of the reason why I think the cable landscape is changing, I just got to see how much the cable, cable people, how much they can support it and keep it alive. Uh, that being said, last one for you here. What, what parting words do you want to give somebody looking to get into this industry then? I, I think that it is a very rewarding industry. If you like people, and, and I'll say about sports, if you really enjoy sports and you enjoy not just debating whether something, whether Jordan's the best or LeBron's the best, but appreciating what Jordan did well and what LeBron did well, and you enjoy the discussion, and you can bring an intelligence to it, and you're willing to discuss it with people, and you can commit yourself to a community that you move to for a little bit, it is super rewarding. It is a little challenging. It is going to be tough, but nothing in life is easy. And I'd say that, I'd say that have fun. You know, like, I'm about to watch nine hours of football straight, make videos about it, and that's work. So I think it's super rewarding. Put all of your passion into it. Put all of your energy into it. Watch yourself and get better. Don't be afraid to go, I wasn't good there. I wasn't good. You know what? Watch it. Sit through it. You don't realize how long your pause is or how, how definitive your statement was until you really consume it like a consumer. And, and treat it like a job. You know, treat it like a football player. Watch your film. Um, but it's a lot of fun, man. You know it, and I, I appreciate having me on, man. Let me just blobby like this for movie yeah. like this for 30 minutes. We appreciate Not a problem. You, Listen, if you want real quick, do you, uh, you said you're trying to get back in the social media. You want anybody listening out there, how they can reach out to you, be it on Twitter, Facebook, what might be yes. the best way? All right, Twitter is at Adam Lufko. Instagram is at Adam Lufko. So let's let's keep it consistent. And then, uh, yeah, go, go to Bleach Report. Uh, and right now, I think the big thing I'm promoting is the Sims and Lufko podcast, me and Chris Sims. We've been doing like 38 podcasts now with different NFL players. Um, you know, we've had Tory Holt. We've had Mike Vick. Uh, we've had like some really good guys. So check that out on BleachReport.com, man. Joe, I appreciate it. Awesome. Adam, thanks so much for being with us today. Keep on hustling. 
As always, for Broadcasting in Black and White, I'm Joe Masiri with my co-host... Kenton Young. Yeah, this is Bib Media, born in Brooklyn. Believe the hype, guys. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Well, if you made it this far, you're probably interested in some of the things that Adam had to say. I want to remind you to head over to bibmedia.tv. That's B-I-B for Born in Brooklyn, media.tv. There we've curated everything we talked about with Adam into a nice little package for you so you don't have to go searching and waste time on the internet. Also, if you have any ideas on who we should speak to in the future, please let us know. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, we're at BibMedia, and Instagram, of course, at BibMedia as well. You can also check us out on Facebook. Really appreciate you listening this far through to the podcast, and until next time, this is Broadcasting in Black and White, brought to you by Bib Media. Born in Brooklyn, believe the hype. Thanks again, guys.